this is the in focus podcast from the hindu welcome to the hindus in focus podcast i'm zubeda hamid your host for today next month the supreme court of india will listen to final hearings on the issue of legal recognition for same sex marriages a number of petitions have been filed seeking this recognition The case follows the landmark Putuswami judgment of 2017 affirming the right to privacy as a fundamental right and then the Navtej Johar judgment of 2018 which decriminalized same-sex relationships. The government of India however has opposed same-sex marriages stating that marriages in India are holy unions this would rock societal values and also that if there is to be a change it should be through parliament and not the judiciary. To explain to us what this case is about and its ramifications, we have with us today Arvind Narayan, a lawyer working in the area of human rights and LGBTQ+ rights and a visiting faculty at the Azim Premji University. Welcome to the Hindus in Focus podcast Arvind Narayan. Thanks for having me at the at the Hindu podcast. Arvind the Supreme Court has now listed petitions to legally recognize same-sex marriages in India for final hearings on April 18th. Could you give us some background about this case? Yeah. basically we have a range of petitions which have been filed from around the country by lesbian gay bisexual and transgender people all of whom are basically making the argument that the failure to recognize their right to marry under the existing marriage laws violates the right to equality the right to dignity and the right to privacy which flows from the supreme court's recognition of these rights in navtej singh johar in 2018 the basic point which the petitioners are making is one is at the base level there's a way in which you're denied the right to equality because you're not entitled to the right to marry because right to marry is tied into the whole range of civil rights right from your right to file joint income tax returns to own property in common to tax other tax benefits to what happens in the case of death of a particular partner what happens to the rental house which you're living in so many questions which are involved which all of which hit at the fundamental notion of equality that's one strong ground ground which all the petitioners are making the other ground which which petitioners are making which is an equally important one is to make the point that there is something called dignity which is inherent in the preamble of the indian constitution and this notion of dignity stands violated when you deny couples transgender couples and same sex couples the right to marry the we come to this question by basically making the point that the question of when you deny some person right to express themselves in terms of the relationship they choose to forge with the person that they love then you're denying an essential aspect of what it is to be human which is the right to express oneself in intimate sense with another human being and when you make that a discriminatory basis you say you know you're not entitled for recognition for your relationship in law because you love another man or you're not entitled to recognition in law because you're a woman who loves another woman then you hit at the core of something called discrimination you hit at the heart of something called dignity and that's the broad points which the petitioners are making in the in the range of petitions from really around the country again the same important point to note huh? it's not a petition filed by one couple sitting in delhi the petitions filed by couples across the length and breadth of the country point one second it's also filed by 
transgender activists who are making the point that when you say marriage is between a biological man and a biological woman, it does injustice to the diversity of the transgender community who also saying that we want the right to express ourselves with the person that we love. Arvind, you mentioned the landmark judgment of 2018, Navtej Singh Jodhar, which decriminalized same-sex relationships. So, can it be said that legal status for marriages should be a natural consequence of this 2018 judgment? See, the way to phrase it is this. The, the 2018 judgment is about reading down the criminal provision, Section 377 of the Indian Penal Code. But it reads down the criminal provision on the basis of the right to equality, the right to dignity, and the right to privacy. Basically, it says that we're reading down these provisions because LGBTQI people have the right to equality, the right to privacy, and the right to dignity. The position before the court now is, if, for example, we we recognize the fact that LGBTQ people have these these particular rights, then if you deny, deny LGBTQ people the right to marry, will you violate the right to privacy, equality, dignity. That's the question the court has to adjudicate. Arvind, you spoke a little earlier about the importance of marriage, how it confers upon couples a number of rights. Could you talk to us a little bit more about this? Why is marriage so important? There's Again, there's a, there are several viewpoints on marriage. There is, of course, the feminist critique of marriage. There's a queer critique of marriage, which looks at marriage as a heteronormative institution, which it is, and looks at the fact that marriage is based upon the prioritization of the, of the male over the female, and that's a patriarchal dimension of marriage, all of which is very, very true. But the fact remains that marriage is a very central institution in our society, central at the very, very, very basic level of rights which it confers because you have entered that particular institution. Give you just a couple of examples. There's something called the the Employees' Compensation Act, which defines dependence, assuming that, uh, God forbid, some uh, a queer person dies right in in an accident his dependents are entitled to compensation the dependents are defined in terms of the two institutions marriage and family if you're not married if you're not a member of the biological family in terms of the, the parents you're not entitled to any form of compensation insurance laws very similar look at the insurance act it defines who can be a nominee in terms of relationships of blood and marriage. Again, you see the fact that it's so critical to rights. Rental laws in many, 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 many parts of the country, where assuming that you are you're a living part, you're living in with your partner in, in a particular house, God forbid your partner dies, who would be entitled to inherit that particular right of living in that particular house will again be defined by the questions of uh, blood and marriage. So, if you, for example, God forbid, one you're in an accident and uh, you didn't make a life and death decision with respect to your partner, with respect to the person who's in the, who's in the accident, again, the person who can make that decision would be either persons related to blood or marriage. So in a very fundamental sense, if you're living a life in society, you are discriminated against if you don't have the right to get married. That's the fundamental base level point, really. Arvind, moving on to another argument, one of the arguments of the central government is that marriage is a holy union and sanskar in this country, and that they are governed by several religious laws as well. 
However, the petitioners are also arguing for marriage under the Special Marriage Act, which is used when couples do not want to or cannot use the religious laws to get married. Could you talk to us about the SMA? Yeah, I think that's again a very important question. When the when the government makes the position or puts forward the position that marriage is a samskar, the point is under Hindu Marriage Act, yes, it is. Under Islamic law, it's a contract. We understand that. But the Special Marriage Act. The, if you look at the history of the Special Marriage Act, the Special Marriage Act is enacted in the teeth of opposition by religious communities. Religious communities insist that marriage should be within a religious community. Special Marriage Act basically says that in India, when you live under the Constitution, you have the right to marry the person of your choice, regardless of the questions of religion and caste. And that's a very fundamental right which we enjoy in this country, thanks to the Special Marriage Act. It's not perfect, but that's the philosophy animating the Special Marriage Act. If the Special Marriage Act is a secular inroad into the religious institution of marriage, our point would be simply this. By today making the case that same-sex couples and transgender people are entitled to marry under the Special Marriage Act, you're taking forward the secular inheritance, the secular logic of the law, to say that persons are entitled to marry, not just across lines of religion and caste, but also across lines of gender and gender and sexuality, because that is the mandate of a secular law, which is in tune on conformity with the constitutional principle of non-discrimination on ground on any ground whatsoever. Would this impinge upon the religious laws of marriage? Again, this is a question which has come up many, many times. I think the way to phrase it is that what we are advocating is a fundamental principle, is a constitutional principle. The principle is really the right to equality. If you concede that the right to equality is integral to the way we deal with citizens within our own country, then you concede the fact that yes, you know, same-sex couples and transgender couples should have the right to marry. Then you have to work out the logistical framework within which you do that. If it's within this, the logic of the SMA, then the SMA is a separate law. So my argument would be that yes, you can recognize the rights of couples to marry under the Special Marriage Act. Will that have an implication with respect to other personal laws? Will that have implications with respect to adoption, etc.? Yes, it will. And then I think that if you look at the South African Supreme Court, the way they phrased it in their marriage decision, they gave the government a year's time to come up with, uh, to look at the range of ways in which, uh, how these laws relate to other laws and to figure out a, a framework of, of reconciling these, these various laws with the, with the existing change they put forward. So I think, again, that's possible. That's a technical point. It's a, it's a technician's point. You're saying, what are the conflicts? What are the contradictions? Can you, are, they, are they there? Yes, they are there. Can they be resolved? Yes, they can be resolved. If you look at the history of the world, if there are so many countries which should recognize the right to same-sex marriage or transgender marriage, they've gone through this route. They've said, hey, you know, what are the laws we need to change? How do we change this? And they've kind of made, made the required changes as it were. So it's not a, it's not what we'd call a problem which can't be solved. It's a problem which can be solved. But you must have the resolve to solve the problem because you must recognize that equality is such a fundamental principle that you will work very hard to reconcile what seem at this moment as difficult situations. Speaking of resolve, Aravind, the center has also said that, uh, of course, in its view, the accepted view of marriage is between a biological man and a biological woman. And if there is to be a change in this concept, it should come from the legislature, not the judiciary. 
Could you talk to us about this? As you were saying, like, for instance, in South Africa, the Supreme Court gave the government time to do this. Is this something that would be possible or is this something that should happen? Yeah, again, see, the way we phrase it is this. The legislature has the power to make laws. That's that's true. The judiciary, of course, has the responsibility to ensure that there is no discrimination on constitutional grounds as far as legislation is concerned. Here, the argument is simple. You're saying the Special Marriage Act exists. That's the law framed by the legislature. And your argument is that particular legislation discriminates against couples who are in same-sex relationships or couples who are transgender in, in their gender identity. And if that is so, then the role of the court is basically to say, to ensure that legislation is in conformity with the constitution. And the tool, the court has a number of tools to do that. The court can, of course, strike down the law and ask the state to enact another law. The court can, in the, can lay down rules and regulations which will govern till such time as the state comes up with its own law. So the range of options that the court can do. But the point which the government is making, which is that we are the sole custodians of Indian culture. We are the sole custodian of social norms. Maybe true in a majoritarian democracy. It is not true in a constitutional democracy. India is a constitutional democracy. That's very important for the government to recognize. Go back again to the, the founding of the Indian constitution. The very important concept put forward by Baba Sahib Ambedkar was the idea of constitutional morality. And the viewpoint he's putting forward is to say that we are governed not by popular morality, but by constitutional morality. And the important point over there is to say that we can't in India go by the viewpoint of the majority. Parliament may represent, I'm not saying it does, may represent the viewpoint of the majority. But the viewpoint of the majority is always subject to the limitations imposed by the constitution, which is you shall not discriminate against citizens on the sex, sex and gender. If same-sex marriage is legalized, Arvind, would the next steps be, for instance, inheritance laws, child rights laws, etc.? Would those also have to be modified to keep pace with same-sex marriage legalization? Yeah. Again, the way I'd phrase it is I think the, the principle underlying whatever we're talking about is really the principle of equality. So what equality, what the, what the norm and equality in Article 14, Article 15 of the Constitution mandates should be carried through to the logical endpoint, which will be the range of legislations which are today discriminating as far as LGBTQI people are concerned. Again, when we make the point that the law is patriarchal or the law is heteronormative, this is what we mean. We mean that it's not just one law. It's a range of laws which have embedded in them heteronormative assumptions. So all those laws, which in a sense perpetrate uh, discrimination or exclusion of LGBTQI persons, will have to change in in light of the constitutional principle of equality. To, they'll have to be modified to get them in conformity with the constitution. And that's the that's a mandate laid on Article 13 of the Indian constitution. What what would some of these laws be? Which uh, will have to change. I think the the future, if you look at the the question of discrimination, right? Again, it's a very I think it's a very, very important point. Because again, you speak to our friends, in particular from the transgender community, you'll get a sense that a lot of them are dropouts at school and college. A school, not even college. Huh? So you ask the question, why? Invariably, you ask each of them, they will tell you that they were bullied in school. So the question, for example, 
is will we have rules, regulations, laws, frameworks for dealing with the question of bullying in schools on grounds of sexual orientation, gender identity? Will you be able to be create a non-hostile workplace as far as workplaces are concerned? Will you be able to promote diversity as far as the workplace is concerned? So I think the way you look at it is each of the spaces, right? Look at the mental health, look at the medical space, look at the media space, look at the, the space of, uh, of the workspace, and uh, look at the family space. Each of these spaces are, of course, imbued with biases and prejudices, and the biases and prejudices in each of these spaces will have to be challenged. Some of it, of course, is through law. Some of it is through executive action. Some of it is through work such as which you're doing, which is the, which is the media, and the media which popularizes or gets to, popularizes, gets to the fourth, the concept of constitutional morality, and saying that, you know, what is our culture? Our culture is that we respect the rights of all diverse minorities to live the life that they choose to under the framework of the constitution. Arvind, how are we placed compared to the rest of the world? There has been a growing movement in so many countries to recognize same-sex marriages, but in Asia, only Taiwan so far allows it, even though, though Thailand is now considering civil union partnerships. Could you talk to us about this? Yeah. And in the Asian context, you're very right. It's only Taiwan which recognizes same-sex marriage. The discussion on marriage, though, is fairly advanced in the, in, in the context of Japan, in the context of uh, South Korea, in the context of, uh, as you indicated, Thailand, Vietnam, and Cambodia as well, the discussion was beginning. It's more difficult in the in the West Asian context, and it's more difficult in the in the of course in the African context. But in the in, in the South Asian context, Nepal is a forerunner. Nepal has been very much in the forefront of discussing the question of same sex marriage. They've of course got a decriminalization judgment, and but they've got a, they've, they've, they're moving towards the marriage question as well. So I think the question of uh, if you want to put it in a broad sense of Asian values, family values, etc., it's very much in transition in the Asian context with a greater recognition for the diversity of forms which families can take. And that seems to be the direction in which we are, uh, we are currently moving. Why civil union partnership in Thailand? Is there a difference between that and the legal recognition of marriage? Yeah, again, this is a good question. And there's been a debate for, for a long time on this point. There is a framework which thinks that, you know, marriage is a, is a problematic institution and civil union might be a better way of thinking about precisely what I described, right? The range of rights and rights and liabilities which partners need to have. The, the two points over here, one is I think there is place for a, for a recognition of civil partnership or civil unions, which are basically between two persons. Again, when you say the word two persons, it doesn't matter what a sexual orientation or gender identity is. So it could be a man and a woman, man and a man, woman and a woman, transgender person and man, etc. Right? The the diversity of human human experience or the human identities could be accommodated under this kind of a legal framework. It might be an ideal way for a range of people to take forward their lives, not just uh, not just uh, LGBTQI people, but even uh, heterosexual people, straight people as well. So that's that's the advantage of a of a civil rights uh, of a civil union law. But then I think we also have to recognize the limitations under which we are operating. We're not in space. We're making proposals to the government, 
and the government is saying yes we think this is a great proposal let's go with this let's recognize same-sex unions let's not worry about marriage now that's not where we are we are working in a space where what the little limited window that you have is a court which in the light of Navdeh Singh Johar is open to the possibility of looking at discrimination with an existing marriage laws and writing that sense of discrimination. So that's the that's the window that you have. That's the window with which you work. And we hope that the there will also and, and I think it's an important point that we need a space or we need a the ability to recognize the diversity of human relationships. Not all of them fall within the framework of marriage, and some of them fall within the framework of civil unions. So I'm with you on the question that civil unions are important and it's a right for all persons. But I think in a practical sense, where we are at this current moment, is we're looking at what one can do through the judiciary. Since the government has made its position clear, they're saying that the same-sex marriage is against Indian culture or against social norms. That's the point that, that they're making. The Supreme Court last year also recognized atypical families, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. There's a reference by Justice uh, Chandrachot, which I think is a very important reference again, where he recognized the fact that there's a diversity of family forms in the, in the Indian context. Not all of them are heteronormative, man-woman, married with two kids, etc., etc., right? And that diversity, I mean, if you don't recognize that diversity exists, then you will perpetuate injustice on a vast scale. And that's a very, very, very important recognition, you know. And that's you get back, getting back to a point. That's the patriarchal and heteronormative imagination of the institution of marriage, which needs to be opened up and pluralized. And we really welcome this uh, observation by Justice Chandrachut, which uh, notes this diversity, diversity of family forms. Because at the end of the day, if you look at the even look at the fundamental duties, is to preserve what they call the composite culture of India which means the diversity, right? There is a diversity in the Indian context and the diversity you need to preserve. It can't be homogenized under one, one norm and that's a very, very important recognition by the, by the Supreme Court. Thank you so much for speaking to us today, Arvin. Thank you. Thank you, Zubeda. A pleasure. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.